Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12.2 This is Resistance and Reformation on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. In the heart of the Kremlin Palace Complex within Moscow's Red Square stands the St. Basil Cathedral, an iconic and much imitated emblem of Russian culture. At the center of the Soboslav Palace Complex within Prague's Castle Square stands the St. Vitus Cathedral, an iconic and much imitated emblem of European culture. The two churches could not be more different from their architecture and history to their patrons and liturgies. The churches are a study in stark contrasts. Together, they provide a fitting metaphor for the polarized story of Christianity in Eastern Europe. The strikingly colorful onion domes and spires of St. Basil Cathedral were first built to commemorate Ivan the Terrible's victory over the Tartars. Shaped like the flames of a holy bonfire rising into the sky, the church's ten chapels were constructed between 1555 and 1561 over the grave of a venerated local saint, Basil Blazany of Moscow. Basil is perhaps one of the least likely patrons of any church anywhere in the world. He was what is referred to in the Russian Orthodox tradition as a holy fool. A contemporary of Ivan, he walked through the streets of Moscow, ranting and raving, mumbling and murmuring, always stark naked, even in the winter. The holy fools were essential fixtures in nearly every Russian town from the 14th to the 21st century. They played an important role in the popular Russian Orthodox worldview. They were highly regarded as holy men and mystical seers, even though they behaved like madmen and were anything but saintly in their habits or personal character. Not surprisingly, they figure prominently in Russian literature, from the colorful folklore and fairy tales to the epic novels of Pushkin, Pasternak, Dostoevsky, and Tolstoy. Holy fools were as famous for their nakedness as they were for their mad ravings, supposedly signs of their deep, otherworldly spirituality. But at various other times, they wore outlandish costumes of layered rags. Uh, they were both revered and feared as ultimate moral authorities treated with more respect than even the monks, priests, and bishops, and the patriarchs of the church. They were welcomed into the great noble manors and the most humble peasant huts, both masters and serfs, heeded their fulminations and their divinations. Ivan the Terrible venerated Basil as his official court shaman, often weighing his ravings over and against the most trusted imperial diplomats. 
At his funeral service, the Orthodox Church's Metropolitan conducted the liturgy, and the Tsar served as one of the pallbearers. The feverish, dizzying, madcap architecture of the Basel Cathedral is an apt monument to Basel and the place of the holy fool in Russian society and life. The visual representation of his topsy-turvy worldview became the model for Russian and Slavic ecclesiastical architecture in the centuries that followed. The contrast with the St. Vitus Cathedral in Prague surely could not be more dramatic. The ornate complex of chapels, spires, rotundas, and naves was first established in 930 by good King Wenceslas, the Grand Duke of Bohemia. In 1060, a sprawling triple-aisled Romanesque basilica with two choirs was added to the existing rotunda. Then in 1344, a massive Gothic expansion of the church was begun. The first master builder, Matthias of Arras, designed the expansion in a traditional French Gothic style with flying buttresses and radiating chapels, but he died in 1352, having only just begun construction. Peter Parler, who introduced a bold and imaginative design of interlocking bays and zigzagging net vaults, succeeded him. Parler's new plan was a stunning combination of mathematical precision, engineering prowess, and creative rationality. Work on the cathedral proceeded very slowly because Parler had been commissioned to undertake several other projects simultaneously, including the iconic Charles Bridge. Parler's sons and grandsons worked their entire lives to realize his masterful vision for Prague, but their work, too, was constantly interrupted by various other projects, by intermittent wars, and by the ebbing of bohemian fortunes. In fact, construction on the cathedral would continue through the Ottoman Wars, the Thirty Years' War, the Wars of Austrian Succession, the Napoleonic Wars, the Franco-Prussian Wars, and the First World War before it finally and fully was realized in 1928. Even so, the stunning design would have a tremendous influence on the development of the late Gothic style. Members of the Parler family and their apprentices from his workshop were called upon to design and build innumerable cathedrals, churches, chapels, and civic buildings all across the Habsburg dominions of Central and Eastern Europe. The design of the Cathedral of St. Vitus heavily influenced virtually all the succeeding churches in Slovenia, Croatia, Austria, the Czech Republic, Poland, and parts of southern Germany for half a millennium. Charles Dickens famously opened the novel of the French Revolution, saying, It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. 
We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. He was essentially reminding us that some stories can only be told by means of stark contrast. Some stories require the juxtaposition of opposites in order for us to fully grasp their meaning and significance. Dissimilarity and disparity then become the organizing principles for comprehension and clarity. And those principles are essential for the task of undertaking both resistance and reformation. I'm George Grant on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information and for resources, be sure to go to georgegrant.net.